Romans chapter 1, Paul really introduces himself and then he has that, has that lovely wee statement where he, he speaks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and uh, in, in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for, for faith, the righteous shall live by faith. And then there's a, a big section which speaks about the sinfulness of man. That leads on in chapter 2 where he talks about God's judgment upon man's sinful nature, both in Jews and Gentiles. And it is in this, this theme that he, we come in chapter 3 with the question, verse 1, what vantage, advantage has the Jews? So let's read uh, uh, Romans chapter 3 and from verse 1. And this is the word of God. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of God, and we know the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, you're my, my joy, my righteousness. What a blessing, what a privilege it is to be able to say or sing those words. My righteousness. Jesus, God's righteousness revealed. So, Lord, we pray as we turn to your word that 
we will understand what it means to be righteous. To understand that there is none righteous, not even one, but that we can be made righteous through Christ. Open our hearts to hear your word. Amen. Well, I want to look this morning at the verses we read there in verses 1 to 20 of uh, Romans chapter 3. And uh, we're, we're thinking really about the subject, who is good for God? Who is good for God? Experts suggest that being a good person is, is not hard. But it doesn't just happen. As much as anything else, you must want to be a good person and make choices that correspond with your beliefs. No matter where you are in life, you can make the choice to change. And here are uh, 15 simple traits that are suggestive of uh, a truly good person. They are honest in relationships. They compliment others when deserved. They call their parents regularly. They are polite. They are kind to everyone. They are generous with their belongings. They remember their manners. They think of others. They go the extra mile. They are kind to loved ones. They smile. They make the best out of every situation. They make friends easily. They don't take things for granted. They are consistent. So being a good person isn't hard. But it does take a consistent approach. And by using the traits that we've just read out, you too can be a truly good person. Well, that's the theory. What does the Bible say? We want to look at that just now. And the reality is that nothing that I can do can stop God being angry with me. It doesn't matter how good a life I live or you live, how well you know your Bible, how often you attend church, how wonderful a family or friends you may have. The right thing for God to do is to be angry with you or angry with me because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it would be wrong for God not to be angry with me since I have transgressed his law, turned my back on him, gone my own way. And just all we like sheep have gone astray. And until we grasp this, we will never fully appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's primary task in the opening chapters of Romans is to convince both Jew and Gentile that under God's perfect law, they stand condemned. Paul is writing at a time when the Jews thought they stood high, high above everybody else in terms of their relationship with God. They were close to God, special to God. Gentiles were strangers, aliens, far away from God. But Paul, in his words in the opening chapters, is, is challenging that thought, and he's saying to these Jews, you're no different from the Gentiles if you disobey God's law and disobey his ways. Under God's perfect law, they stand condemned because of sin. And until they, and until you and I realize the depth of the problem of sin, we go on regardless in life without looking to God for salvation. And so many people live their lives just that, that way, content to go along there. Paul opens Romans by showing that, that God's rescue comes always and only 
by faith in God that mankind can contribute nothing of his own. That great verse there, chapter 1, verse 17, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's, that's Paul's strapline for the whole of this, this book that he writes to the, the church at Rome and for us in the church. And he then goes on to show how the anger of God is against everyone, both Jew and Gentile, with that passage there in chapter 1 that outlines the extremity of man's sinfulness. Those who approve, those who approve bad behavior and those who disapprove bad behavior are equally guilty. Chapter 1 deals at length with man's unrighteous behavior that denies the knowledge of God, suppresses the truth, turning away from what is right and good to desire and pursue what is unnatural, that which is wrong and evil. Such behavior, Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, will come under the righteous judgment of God. And so that leads us to ask the question, who is good for God? Who is good for God? And we discover that God has no favorites. If we look at chapter 2, verse 11 for a moment, we have these words. Glory and, uh, sorry, just verse 11. For God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. He doesn't have favorites. And yet the Jews enjoyed privileges. And essentially the Jews believed that they were God's favorites. They were privileged to be entrusted with the actual words and oracles of God. Given to them on the mountain through Moses. Given to them through the prophets. The real issue is how the word is received and used. The reality is that many disobeyed. They disobeyed the laws and commands that God gave to Moses at Sinai. They wouldn't listen to the prophets who called them to turn from their wicked ways and follow the ways that God had given to them. And so it raises the question in verse 3 of chapter 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Not at all. God remains faithful. See, that, that question is a bit like, like saying, does a, does a son's disobedience or a son's bad behavior make a father a bad, a bad father? No. Paul says to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. God doesn't change. And the unrighteousness of man contrasts with, with God's righteousness and highlights the righteousness of God. Verse 5, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Our unrighteousness just highlights how good God is, how righteous God is. As it highlights our failures, there is none righteous, not even one. In effect, man's wickedness serves to emphasize just how righteous, faithful, and trustworthy God is. Our failures highlight the goodness of God. But Paul asks the question in verse 9, are the, we Jews any better off? And he answers it, no, not at all. 
For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. We are all under sin. And so here Paul is saying that sin is a a slave master. And until a person is rescued by Christ, we are under the power of sin which enslaves us. Christopher Ashe has written some good wee commentaries. Christopher Ashe asked the question, why do people suppress the truth? As in chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why do people suppress the truth? Because they are under sin. Why do people do what is evil and approve of what is evil? Because they are under sin. Why do religious people sit in judgment on evildoers while doing evil themselves? Because they are under sin. Those who have enjoyed spiritual privileges are tempted to think that these privileges give them a better standing before God. Many Jews believed that they were safe whatever their behavior because of the promise of Abraham. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and a great people will come from you and you will be great in all of the nations. And through you all the nations will be blessed. God is through Moses, gave them them the Ark of the Covenant and he is is saying to them that he will will abide in in their presence and, and they believed that God was right there in the Holy of Holies sitting between the seraphim And that when the Ark of the Covenant was in their midst and in their presence, they were safe. That's why sometimes whenever Israel would go out to battle, they wanted to take the Ark of the Covenant with them because they thought, even though the Philistines are strong or the Amalekites are strong, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, and if we've got the Ark of the Covenant, we're safe. We're okay. We're God's. The problem was, of course, that their hearts were far away from God. Their behavior was disobedient to God. And God had warned them, if you keep my commandments and obey my laws, I will bless you. But if you disobey my commandments and turn away from my laws, then I will curse you and I will punish you. But they didn't want to take that in. Basically, some of the Jews thought if God destroys us, he destroys the promise that he made to Abraham, so we're okay. There'll be no children to inherit the world or bring in the blessing. But how wrong they were. Yet there are still many today who consider similarly. Because they have been baptized, they know the Bible, they attend church, maybe even they sit at the Lord's table, they will be safe even though their hearts are not changed. Paul has plainly shown what, that to have, advantages not to, neg- to have advantages but to neglect them is to be worse off. God has no favorites. But the stubborn heart persists in thinking that the possession of privileges will mean a favorable verdict in God's judgment. So if I go to church often enough, if I, if I even sit at the Lord's table and, and, I, and I'm able to do good things, I'll be okay because I know God's word. I know the Bible. It's not the case. Paul sets out very clearly how all people are guilty before God. There is none righteous, not even one. 
No one is righteous. And Paul quotes some scripture to highlight the problem. He's quoting a lot from the Psalms there in those verses from um, verse 10 through to 18. We're all under sin. It controls us, it enslaves us until we are rescued by Christ. Mankind will always display sin by, by turning away from God. Verse 12 and 11, sorry, verse 10 to 12. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Every person, without exception, is by nature under sin. They can only be justified by grace. Sinners will not seek God, not go looking for God, until grace convicts and grace changes their lives. It is when the, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to receive God's word and gives us an understanding of us and enlightens our minds to, to show us Christ in all of his glory and to show us our sin and all of our misery and to see that the only way is to come in faith to Jesus Christ, that we are by his spirit drawn to that cross to cast our sins upon Jesus. True Israel is those who believe and obey, whose refuge is the Lord. That's what it was for the psalmist. The psalmist was trusting in God and trusting in all of the promises that God had given to him in his word through Moses and the prophets. God, promises that God had given to him as the chosen king, that he would bring a king to reign over his people forever and forever and the psalmist is looking forward in faith to that day when God will accomplish his promise and his king will come and will reign no one is a righteous all are turning away from God all are speaking with bitter tongues their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is upon their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So that the words coming from the heart convey what is in the heart. Remember those who came to Jesus and complained that Jesus' disciples were eating without washing their hands. And, and that was defilement. defilement. Jesus said to them, look, it's not what goes into the body that, that, that causes the problem. It's what comes out of the heart. It's what comes out. The heart is deceitful above all things. And out of the heart there comes all manner of evil. And here we have it. They use their tongues to deceive. Empty hearts speaking empty words. Deceiving, cursing, poisonous words. We listen to some of, think of some of our politicians with the great promises that they make. The things that they will do only to discover that they cannot fulfill them. They cannot bring these things about. They turn another way. They do something different. Empty words. A bitter heart is not a spirit-filled heart. No tongue speaks kindness until it is changed by the kindness of God. But a righteous heart is a heart that is changed. It's a spirit-filled heart. A heart that is contrite, broken, renewed, 
a heart that is looking for mercy from God, a heart that is giving praise to God, a heart that is changed by grace. That's the difference. No one is righteous. All are turning away from God, speaking with bitter words, with actions that divide and destroy and cause strife. Righteous Jews were oppressed by unbelieving Jews. There were those who came to faith in Jesus Christ when they heard the message of the gospel preached by Peter, preached by Paul and the other apostles. But there were unbelieving Jews who still wanted to persecute them. Even Paul himself was a persecutor until he met with Jesus on that road to Damascus. Today, many religious unbelievers with no clear knowledge of God's truth will oppress believers. There's no fear of God, therefore no repentance. So we have an evil world filled with all of the sin that Paul outlines there in chapter 1. And it's sadly right religious unbelievers that cause most problems to the people of God. I can look back over my, my time in the church, serving within the church, and those who counted themselves good church people but were opposed to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who felt that they were good enough for God didn't need to be hearing about salvation from the, through the cross. Don't want to be hearing there is no one righteous, not even one. And so we find that we are guilty as charged. There can be no excuses. God is right to be angry. All have turned away. All have gone their own way. And many, like the older brother, feel hard done by. When those who are seemingly profligate get taken in as the prodigal gets taken in. While they protest their innocence. There are those who disapprove of evil. Fail to see their own sin. Fail to recognize their guilt before God. So Paul speaks of the law with reference to all of scripture. Quoting from the Psalms and the prophets to make his case. The Jews having the law of God and being under the law of God had every privilege and opportunity. But Gentiles too, and we amongst them, are under the law of God because Paul says that the evidence is there that we are without excuse. All are under the law, but not all are honoring the law. And the law points to what is right. It also convicts of sin. The Bible knowledge makes us aware of right and wrong. That's why it's right and good that the Bible is taught to children and young people. It keeps us from doing many things that are wrong. We don't go out and steal because we know the Bible says it is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. We don't go out and kill people because the Bible says you shall not kill. We don't go out and deliberately commit adultery because the Bible says you shall not commit adultery. We don't tell lies because it says do not tell lies. The law is there for us. The Bible teaches us what is right and what is good and how we should live our lives. But we can only keep it when we have Christ with us. 
the Holy Spirit to help us. You see, knowledge itself doesn't change the heart. But it can make us aware of our sin. So we become conscious in our hearts that though we haven't been stealing, we covet and long to have what others have. Even though we don't commit adultery, we have looked with lust and with the wrong thoughts upon others. The greatest need of our day is to convince people that before God, they are guilty as charged. That you, as a sinner, before God, stand guilty as charged. You have not come to faith in Jesus Christ if you're not here this morning as one who is in love with God and with Jesus Christ as some because you have come to the cross for salvation. You stand guilty as charged. How can you escape if you neglect? Such great salvation as is offered to us in the gospel through Jesus Christ, God's Son. So many people don't think they're guilty. So many people will say, it doesn't apply to me, I'm okay. I'm a good person, church person, lovely, affable, kind. God does not love the lovable, but sinners. God came to call sinners to salvation. And if you're saying I'm not a sinner, are you saying God has nothing for me? Christ didn't die for me. Could that be true? Surely not. Surely not. The psalmist, knowing his sin, cried out to God for help. Psalm 51 is familiar, how he pleads for forgiveness. Wash me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Praying for a pure and contrite heart. And psalm 143, a similar psalm, he prays, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy and your faithfulness. Answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit feels. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. That's the psalmist, David. A Jew pleading with God. He doesn't protest, but I'm a Jew. I'm a circumcised child of Abraham. I'm okay. He acknowledges guilt. Against you, you only have I sinned. Wash me. I will be clean. Praise to God for rescue. As he cries out for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life and in your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. Let me ask you, dear person, this morning, have you prayed to God to bring you out of trouble? Have you asked God to rescue you, deliver you, save you? Because that is your greatest need. Which brings us just a look in closing at the the way forward, the only way forward, is to look to God for credit.
righteousness apart from the law is available through faith in Jesus Christ. So that Paul can can write in chapter 4 how Abraham was justified by faith and he can write in chapter 5 to the believers saying, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is is a great act of God by which he takes away our sins, lays them upon Jesus Christ, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness that is not gained through obeying the law is available through faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham believed God. There was no law for Abraham to follow. God gave Abraham a promise promised that he would make him the father of many nations and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. The promise of a savior to come. Abraham believed God and in his faith was cre- and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. God counted him as righteous because he believed. Not because he was a good man. Because he believed. We are called to believe in the word of God. We're called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. When we put our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, our faith will be credited credited to us as righteousness. R.C. Sproul said, the only way sinners can get through the gates of heaven is by wearing the garments of someone else's righteousness. That's why Paul writes in Colossians about putting off the old garments that are filthy and stained and put on the new garments that Christ gives us that are pure and that are clean. Jesus gives us his righteous garment. And Paul was wearing those garments. He put on those garments when he got up off that road to Damascus having believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm wearing those garments because I as a sinner came to Jesus and sought his forgiveness. And there are many in here this morning and I know that you are wearing those garments because at some point in your life you recognized that you too needed to kneel before the cross of Jesus Christ and confess your sin to him. And in the moment that we, we believe in Christ, we receive from Christ his righteous garments when we turn with eyes of faith and look to Jesus for forgiveness when we cast our sins on Jesus the spotless lamb of God he bears them all and frees us from the accursed load and when we cast our sins on Jesus he places his robe of righteousness on us it's a beautiful thought that all of my filthy garments are taken off and laid aside at the cross. And as I turn away from that, to walk away from the cross, it is with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that I am draped. To go out and to live for Jesus. Only by grace can we enter and only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. 
It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that purifies us from all unrighteousness. So while there is none righteous, not even one, there is this great gospel hope that those who come in faith to Jesus Christ, laying their sins on Jesus, receive forgiveness from those sins, receive that garment of righteousness, are made righteous in Christ Jesus. Those of whom God can say justified, redeemed. So I plead this morning, dear friends, do not rely upon your good life and your good works, though they be many, to see you right with God. But trust in God. Trust in Jesus Christ, the Son. As we sing in the hymn, come to the Father through Jesus, the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. He waits to save you. He waits to clothe you with his garments of righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we think of the hymn writer saying, O how shall I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, and on my naked spirit bear that uncreated being. There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode, an offering and a sacrifice, a Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. Help us, O Lord, to see our unrighteousness against the splendor of your righteousness, that we might come to you through the work of Jesus, and that our filthy rags will be made clean by his atoning blood, and so stand redeemed before your throne. Lord, help, help us today to receive your word. Maybe someone here today needs to embrace you by faith, needs to come to you in faith, laying their sins on you. We know they can do that, and we pray that by grace you will lead them. Amen.